Hello and welcome to episode 59, part 2.1, pay-per-view, where I review the papers and big headlines over the week in place events and headlines in the true context in a weekly podcast. And the first subject is Julian Assange. This is in The Independent. You may believe Julian Assange is a narcissist and even a bad person, but what played out in London is dangerous for all of us. It is as shocking now as it was when it was first made public. Footage taken by two US AH-64 Apache helicopter shows them attacking buildings in Baghdad and then closing in on a group of people. The people are not shooting, they are not even armed, though the US Airmen claim they are. Two of them are journalists, several are children. When the Americans are given permission to attack, they respond with excitement. The video shows the ghostly silhouette of someone running. Oh yeah, look at those dead bastards, says one airman. Somebody points out there's a child who appears to have been injured. Well, it's their fault for bringing kids into a battle said one of them. The recording, filmed in July 2007, is the insurgency against the US and UK invasion of Iraq gathered pace, was many people's first introduction to WikiLeaks. The footage was obtained by Army Intelligence Analyst Chelsea Manning, who, sickened at what was happening in the name of her country, leaked it to WikiLeaks and its founder Julian Assange. At least a dozen people, including Reuters staff Namir Noor Eldin and Saeed Shmaga, or Shmag, were killed in an incident the Pentagon claim was justified. If those killings were lawful under the rules of engagement, then the rules of engagement are wrong, deeply wrong, said Assange when Wikileaks released the video in 2010. Manning served seven years for leaking the video, much of that time spent in miserable solitary confinement. Assange was arrested at the Embassy of Ecuador in London, where he spent seven years having claimed political asylum. He was detained by the UK government at the request of the US, who was charged him with conspiring with Manning. If extradited and convicted, he faces up to five years in prison. Nobody need be an admirer of the 47-year-old Assange to be deeply disturbed by what played out on the streets of Knightsbridge or disgusted by the role of the British government. If a person could be arrested for exposing what were very likely war crimes, what does it say about us as a society that we have allowed it to happen? And Juan McCaskill, defence and security correspondent of The Guardian, which has a love-hate relationship with Assange, tweeted terrible precedent if journalist or publisher ends up in U.S. jail for Iraq war logs and State Department cables. The article goes on. If Assange had only published what became known as the collateral murder of... The article continues. If Assange had only published what became known as the collateral murder footage, he would have been one of our era's most important whistleblowers. But he also provided more. Cables from the U.S. State Department and files relating to the Guantanamo Bay detention camp. Much of the material was published by newspapers around the world, which makes it harder to understand the glee with which many reporters appear to react to news of Assange's arrest. In truth, mockery over his situation has been a constant theme of coverage of the Australian. It is deeply wrong that a proper investigation was not carried out into allegations of sexual assault levelled at Assange by two Swedish women. He declined to travel to Sweden amid fears he could be detained on behalf of the US, something that now appears less fanciful than it did at the time. Swedish investigators could have travelled to London on... Swedish investigators could have travelled to Swedish investigators could have travelled to London. Authorities in Stockholm revealed they had been asked to reopen the case. That is a very good thing. Supporters of Assange told me last year they feared the US was determined to get him after WikiLeaks 2017 release of Vault 7, which consists of thousands of files on CIA spying. A series of US officials subsequently said they viewed WikiLeaks as a threat, among them Mike Pompeo, who turned WikiLeaks a hostile non-state intelligence service. Jeff Sessions said arresting Assange was a priority. But Mike Pompeo won't say anything, if he knows, about Israeli intelligence and the espionage and hacking that it gets up to and more which i'm going to get into in this episode because he supports israel the article continues 
The US played on this, seeking to develop closer military and diplomatic ties with the South American nation, a country which had long been wary of Washington. The March 2018 decision to cut off Assange's internet connection came a day after a high-level U.S. military visit to Ecuador. Last summer, Mike Pence became the first U.S. Vice President to visit Ecuador since 1987. He and Moreno specifically discussed Assange. Assange may be a narcissist. He may have put people in danger by refusing to redact sensitive information. He may have helped Trump get elected, and he must be made to answer the allegations of sexual assault against him. Yet those things must not cloud our view of what took place, however difficult it is to place them aside. A clear attack on the freedom of the press, on the freedom of whistleblowers to publish damaging information about powerful institutions was carried out on the streets of London, and we all stood by and did nothing. Well, the arrest and possible extradition of Julian Assange, regardless of the right or wrong of some or more of his actions, is to make an example to others in his field and journalists that says, this is what happens when you try to expose us us being authority, establishment, intelligence agencies, etc., and what has become known as the deep state or the permanent government. Any authority which attacks citizens for exposing the truth is a tyranny, and clearly has a heck of a lot to hide while claiming to be a free country. In the case of Britain and America, for example, and especially Israel, Assange was attempting to expose war crimes and he gets the punishment. Actual war criminals like Tony Blair, Theresa May, the younger George Bush, Hillary Clinton, etc., they get away with it and they get to carry on living their rich lives. While the people exposing what they do are punished or they get censored by social media. I've talked about the various methods social media platforms are using to censor in episode 27. This is another example of what I call the inversion invasion. Society is inverted in so many ways and this is a classic example commit war crimes, get away with it, expose war crimes, see Assange, or see content creators on social media. The journalists in the mainstream media who celebrated Assange's arrest need to realize that eventually the state will be coming for them if they write anything outside the official line, or report anything outside the official line, after their boss has had a word in their ear, that is. It may be alternative media sources now, but it will be mainstream media sources next. Journalists who, over the years, have denied any possibility of a coordinated agenda to hide alternative information, and the idea that we only see one version of reality because it suits those in power for that to happen, are already being targeted, and the mainstream media in general will be before too long. In its entirety, some are. This is why alternative media platforms are so important and need to be supported. Mainstream journalists, to a large extent, would deny any censorship of alternative information, even though it's happening on a massive scale as I detail in episode 27, and they would cite their own perceived journalistic freedom as an example. But most mainstream journalists never test their theory by actually writing or trying to report anything outside the official narrative, so they believe they've got freedom to write and say what they like, because if you never test the theory, then you can believe you're free forever, when in truth, censorship is increasing all the time. Especially if you try to say anything exposing Israel and Zionism. Assange and Edward Snowden, as well, have exposed a large amount of surveillance and spying on citizens. And now we have spying, which citizens are actively encouraging through Silicon Valley with personal assistance, AI assistance like Amazon's Alexa, Apple's Siri and Microsoft's Cortana, where people have surveillance devices in their own homes and offices sold by Silicon Valley giants for military intelligence and technology that was seed funded into place by military intelligence, not least DARPA, 
the technological development arm of the Pentagon, connected to the Department of Defense, which ultimately military intelligence and that which controls military intelligence, the Sabatine Frankist cult. That's what these personal assistants have been seed funded for by military intelligence. It's not about making people's lives more convenient. They don't care, they're controlled by this Sabatine Frankist cult. Their interest in these assistance is surveillance. Profiling, data tracking and surveillance is happening through social media because people tell the intelligence arena through social media everything they could ever want to know about people. However, we need to keep in mind that while it may seem that the state don't want us to know about the scale of surveillance, tracking and profiling, they do. They do because when people know they're being surveilled, they're likely to edit their behaviour and what they say as a result. Some people anyway. The irony of Assange being charged with computer intrusion, basically hacking into a government computer system, is ironic really. When Israel has a backdoor into virtually every computer in the world, through the Israeli company Intel. The tagline of Intel in advertisements is Intel Inside. Yes, exactly, Intelligence Inside. Israel Inside is what the tagline should be. Israel is involved in spying, as the story I featured in part one explained about the spying on the BDS activist. And here's an article about Intel. This is in the Times of Israel. How Intel came to be Israel's best tech friend. For Intel, the country's largest single tech employer, a strong relationship with Israel was always in the cars, or rather in the chips. Although few remember now, nearly 50 years old, it was an Israeli engineer working for Intel in California, Dov Froman, who in 1972 paved the way for computing as we know it, when he invented the EEPROM, the ultraviolet light erasable read-only memory chip that eventually led to the creation of flash memory. Froman's accomplishment, as well as other important Intel Israel milestones, now live again with the collation of a large number of photographs that lay out the history of the company. From its first Israeli office opened in 1974, with Intel hoping to find more Froman's, until today when the company has nearly 10,000 workers in half a dozen development centres and fabrication plants around the country. The photos were collated by Intel Israel's public relations department in honour of Independence Day. Israeli Independence Day. Intel's presence in Israel is set to get even bigger than ever, with the signing of a deal between the company and the finance ministry last September. This was published in 2015, April 2015. Under the deal, Intel committed to refurbishing its Kiryat Gat chip fabrication plant to produce the company's newest generation of chips in return for substantial tax breaks. What would Israeli tech look like without Intel? It's impossible to know, of course, but chances are the picture will be dramatically different. Speaking at a recent Intel Israel event marking the company's 40th year in Israel, outgoing Intel Vice President Muli Eden cited research conducted by Intel that shows the impact of the company on the Israeli economy. If Israel is the startup nation, it's Intel that had a major role in getting it there, said Eden. I'll be getting into that more as we go along. Startup nature of Israel. If Israel is the startup nation, it's Intel that had a major role in getting it there, said Eden, citing a list of Hundreds of companies, large and small, that were led by entrepreneurs and developers that got their start at Intel. The study shows that some 10,000 former Intel workers have gone on to help establish 30 new high-tech companies every year, creating 250 new jobs. Intel Israel is also a prolific exporter. One billion chips can't be wrong, Eden said, citing the estimated number of microprocessors and processor components. Intel Israel has manufactured its chip fabrication plants, mostly at its two Kiryat Gat facilities over the past 40 years. Intel is Israel's smart chip. We have had 40 great years together and are looking forward to the next 40. 
for decades, Intel has spearheaded Israeli high-tech, conceiving and developing novel technologies which have placed Israel on the global high-tech map and enhancing the strategic leadership of Intel Corporation. The combination of Israel's capabilities, Intel's global innovation and ongoing investment in human capital resulting in an unprecedented success story, which will continue to unfold in coming years, said Eden. Five years after it gambled on an Israeli operation, Intel's investment paid off big time as the team developed the A088 processor which was the heart of the IBM PC, the first computer to use Microsoft DOS disk operating system for an operating system. Because so many were sold, all three parties to the PC, Intel, Microsoft and IBM, made huge sums of money, but it also cemented at least two of those companies to the future success of what would eventually become Windows-based computing. Only IBM fell behind its commodity computer manufacturers in the Far East-built computers mostly based on the 8088, using a generic copy of DOS instead of PC DOS, which only the more expensive IBM computers needed. The article continues. From the 8088, there was a short developmental leap to the creation of the MMX chip, which powered the Pentium 2 computers. And the double MX's modern descendants, Banias, Maram, Yonas, Centrino, and Sandy Bridge and Ivy Bridge, the processors used in most desktop and laptop computers today. After signing a new deal with the government last year, Intel is set to produce its latest generation of chips and processors in Israel. Under the deal, Intel will be making the biggest ever one-time investment in Israel, spending $6 billion to upgrade its Kiryat Gap plans for the production of the next generation computer chips. In return, Intel will get grants of up to $600 million over the next five years, as well as a major tax break through 2023. More valuable for Intel is likely to be the fact that it will have to pay a corporate tax of only 5% through 2023, the standard rate of company tax in Israel in 2014 was 26.5%. In return, Intel committed to hiring at least 1,000 new employees, at least half of whom will be residents of communities in southern Israel. More valuable for Intel is likely to be the fact that it will have to pay a corporate tax of only 5% through 2023. The standard rate of company tax in Israel in 2014 was 26.5%. In return, Intel committed to hiring at least 1,000 new employees, at least half of whom will be residents of communities in southern Israel. In addition, the company promised to spend a total of at least $550 million over the period. While some might point out that Intel is basically committing to spend what it's getting from the government in direct grants, economics ministry officials were enthusiastic about the benefits of the deal to the Israeli economy. This arrangement will have a very positive effect on hundreds of small businesses and suppliers, said Ziva Iger, Director of Investments in the Industrial Cooperation Authority. Offset agreements such as this are platforms for leveraging public expenditures for the benefit of the Israeli economy, both for training and encouraging further expansion of small suppliers from the local and world market, and to enhance Israel's brand as an attractive place for foreign investment, Iger added. As a result of this agreement, Israelis can look forward to thousands of more jobs being available. It is a model for offset agreements that can provide benefits to all sides. Besides, said Eden, such deals are very common among countries like Israel and Ireland, which competed for the new Intel upgrade. The government here, like governments everywhere, know how the game is played, and the jobs that are generated by investments in development centres are well worth it for Israel, especially when it comes to Intel, Eden said in a recent interview. Over the years, Intel has invested $10.8 billion in Israel. Last year, Intel Israel was responsible for more than 9% of Israel's tech exports, which account for half of overall exports except for diamonds. Regardless, the deal is done, said Maxine Fassberg, general manager of Intel Israel, and for Intel, as well as for Israel, it delineates the beginning of a new era of even greater cooperation between the company and the country. She called it a clear expression of Intel's further contribution to Israel's economy and to the development of new technology products in Israel, many of which Intel has assisted in. Israel is fast becoming a centre, as I'll get to later in this episode through its military intelligence networks, controlled ultimately by the Sabatine Frankers cult, for cyber control and security and control of the internet. This is all part of the Sabatine Frankist agenda to create what former CIA director, CIA also 
controlled by this cult. What former CIA director David Petraeus called the Internet of Things, which I talk about in episode 50. Israel is also involved in cyber hacking. This is an article about what's known as the Intel Management Engine. You know, the this is an article about what's known as the Intel Management Engine. This is from howtogeek.com. Intel Management Engine explained the tiny computer inside your CPU. The Intel Management Engine has been included on Intel chipsets since 2008. It's basically a tiny computer within a computer with full access to your PC's memory, display, network and input devices. It runs code written by Intel and Intel has not shared a lot of information about its inner workings. No surprise. This software, also called Intel ME or Intel Me, has popped up in the news because of security holes Intel announced on November the 20th, 2017. You should patch your system if it's vulnerable. This software's deep system access and presence on every modern system with an Intel processor means it's a juicy target for attackers. And Intel processors are used Windows computers, Chromebooks, at least if not if not other computers as well. And that means that Israel have access to not only personal computers, but computers of intelligence networks, governments, etc. What is Intel ME? Intel provides some general information, but they avoid explaining most of the specific tasks the Intel management engine performs and precisely how it works. As Intel puts it, the management engine is a small, low-power computer subsystem. It performs various tasks while the system is in sleep during the boot process and when your system is running. In other words, the article continues, this is a parallel operating system running on an isolated chip but with access to your PC's hardware. It runs when your computer is asleep, while it's booting up and while your operating system is running. It has full access to your system hardware, including your system memory, the contents of your display, keyboard input, and even the network. We now know that the Intel Management Engine runs a Minix operating system. And I'll get to Minix in a minute. The article continues. Beyond that, the precise software that runs inside the Intel Management Engine is unknown. It's a little black box and only Intel knows exactly what's inside. Aside from various low-level functions, the Intel Management Engine includes Intel Active Management Technology. AMT is a remote management solution for servers, desktops, laptops, and tablets with Intel processors. Basically, that means you can control a computer from another computer, basically, another system. The article continues, it's intended for large organizations, not home users, but of course, backdoors will be used on home computers as well. The article continues, it's not enabled by default, so it isn't really a backdoor, as some people have called it. I would disagree with that, but the article goes on. AMT can be used to remotely power on, configure, control, or wipe computers with Intel processors. Unlike typical management solutions, this works even if the computer is not running an operating system. Unlike typical management solutions, this works even if the computer is not running an operating system. The reason for that I'll get to in a minute. Intel AMT runs as part of the Intel Management Engine, so organizations can remotely manage systems without a working Windows operating system. In May 2017, Intel announced a remote exploit in AMT that would allow attackers to access AMT on a computer without providing the necessary password. However, this would only affect people that went out of their way to enable Intel AMT, which again is not most home users. Organizations who used AMT needed to worry only about this problem and update their computer's firmware. This feature is just for PCs, while modern Macs with Intel CPUs do also have the Intel ME, they do not include Intel AMT. You cannot disable the Intel ME, even if you disable Intel AMT features in your system's BIOS. The Intel ME coprocessor and software is still active and running. At this point, it's included on all systems with Intel CPUs, and Intel provides no way to disable it. 
Why would you do that unless you wanted a backdoor into the system? While Intel provides no way to disable the Intel ME, other people have experimented with disabling it. It isn't as simple as flicking a switch though. Enterprising hackers have managed to disable the Intel ME with quite some effort, and Purism now offers laptops based on older Intel hardware with the Intel management engine disabled by default, officially anyway at least. Intel likely isn't happy about these efforts and will make it even more difficult to disable the Intel ME in the future. But for the average user, disabling the Intel ME is basically impossible, and that's by design. Intel does not want its competitors to know the exact workings of the management engine software. Intel also seems to be embracing security by obscurity here, attempting to make it more difficult for attackers to learn about and find holes in the Intel ME software. However, as the recent security holes have shown, security by obscurity is no guaranteed solution. This isn't any sort of spying or monitoring software, unless an organization has enabled AMT and is using it to monitor their own PCs. Don't know if I agree with that, but the article continues. If Intel's management engine was contacting the network in other situations, we'd likely have heard of it thanks to tools like Wireshark, which allowed people to monitor traffic on a network. However, the presence of software like Intel ME that can't be disabled and is closed source is certainly a security concern. Oh, do you think? It's another avenue for attack and we've already seen security holes in Intel ME. On November 20th, 2017, Intel announced serious security holes in Intel ME that had been discovered by third-party security researchers. These include both flaws that would allow an attacker with local access to run code with full system access and remote attacks that would allow attackers with and remote attacks that would allow attackers with remote access to run code with full system access. It's unclear just how hard they would be to exploit. Remote access means access from another computer system. Intel offers a detection tool you can download and run to find out if your computer's Intel ME is vulnerable or whether it's been fixed. To use the tool, download the zip file for Windows, open it and double-click the discoverytool.gui folder. Double-click the intel-sa-00086-gui.exe file to run it. Agree to the UAC prompt and you'll be told whether your PC is vulnerable or not. At least up to a point, why would Intel offer a detection tool when they make it so hard to disable Intel AMT and are so coy about the exact workings of the management engine software? If your PC is vulnerable, you can only update the Intel ME by updating your computer's UEFI firmware. Your computer's manufacturer has to provide you with this update, so check the support section of your manufacturer's website to see if there are any UEFI or BIOS updates available. Intel also provides a support page with links to information about updates provided by different PC manufacturers and are keeping it updated as manufacturers release support information. AMD systems have something similar named AMD Trust Zone which runs on a dedicated ARM processor. So there was a bit of jargon in that article but the point is Israel through Intel have this access to organizations officially and almost certainly personal use computers as well. So this Minix I mentioned just now, this is an article on networkworld.com. What is Minix, the most popular OS in the world thanks to Intel? You might not know it, but inside your Intel system you have an operating system running in addition to your main OS that is raising eyebrows and concerns. It's called Minix. You know just now when I said, when I read out that line in the article, Intel AMT can run without the computer running an operating system. Well this is why, because Minix is an operating system. Take a look at your desktop computer, the article says. What operating system is currently running? Now take a look in your data center at all of your servers. What operating system are they running? Linux, Microsoft Windows, Mac OS X? You could be running any of these three or one of countless others. But here's the crazy part. That's not the only operating system you're running. 
If you have a modern Intel CPU released in the last few years, this was published in 2017. With Intel's management engine built in, you've got another complete operating system running that you might not have had any clue was in there. Minix. M-I-N-I-X. That's right. Minix. The Unix-like OS originally developed by Andrew Tannenbaum as an educational tool. <laughs> educational tool. Maybe it was, but it's more than that now. To demonstrate operating system programming is built into every new Intel CPU. Minix is running on Ring 3, that's negative 3, on its own CPU. Whatever that is. A CPU that you, the user owner of the machine, have no access to. The lowest ring you have any real access to is ring zero, which is where the kernel of your OS, the one you actually choose to use, such as Linux or Microsoft, resides. Most user applications take place in ring three without the negative. First thing that jumps out at me here, this means Minix, specifically a version of Minix 3, is in all likelihood the most popular OS shipping today on modern Intel-based computers, desktop, laptops, and servers. The second thing, you have zero access to ring negative three slash Minix, but Minix has total and complete access to the entirety of your computer, all of it. It knows all and sees all, which presents a huge security risk, especially if Minix, on that super secret ring negative three, CPU is running many services and is not updated regularly with security patches. According to Google, which is actively working to remove Intel's management engine, Minix, from their internal servers for obvious security reasons. That's ironic because Google is controlled by the Sabatine Frankist cult which controls Israel because of its location in Silicon Valley and Intel is a Israel-controlled company, at least to an extent. So that's the irony there. The article continues, the following features exist within Ring Negative three, full networking stack, file systems, many drivers, including USB networking, etc. A web server. That's right, a web server. Your CPU, which is basically the brain of the computer, has a secret web server that you are not allowed to access and apparently Intel does not want you to know about. Why on earth is there a web server in a hidden part of my CPU? The only reason I can think of is if the makers of the CPU wanted a way to serve up content via the internet without you knowing about it. Combine that with the fact that Ring Negative 3 has 100% access to everything on a computer, and that should make you just a teensy bit nervous. The security risks here are off the charts for home users and enterprises. The privacy implications are tremendous and overwhelming. Note to Intel, if Google doesn't trust your CPUs on their own servers, maybe you should consider removing this feature. Otherwise, at some point, they'll likely move away from your CPUs entirely. But they're not going to remove it because it's there for a reason. Note to AMD. Now might be a good time to remove similar functionality from your CPU lines to try to win market share from Intel. Note to Andrew Tannenbaum. Your operating system, Minix, is now one of the most used on modern computers. Note to everyone else. We're all Minix users now. This is an interesting article to kind of take this further in terms of Israeli control of computer systems. This is an article from RT. Turn the curse into a blessing. Netanyahu wants UN of the internet. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said at the Cybertech conference in Tel Aviv that he wants to create a coalition of leading companies to turn the internet from a curse to a blessing. In the wake of a reported breach of Defence Ministry computers, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu talked of the importance of cybersecurity at an Israeli Cybertech conference in the Israeli capital on Monday. Globes reports. Kind of ironic, isn't it, that the Prime Minister of Israel should talk about cybersecurity when Israel is involved in cyber hacking but contradictions with israel don't end there the article goes on the biggest challenge we face with the cyber world is protecting the privacy and security of the public <laughs> there could be a serious breach yeah there could couldn't there 
There should be a sort of UN for the internet, a coalition of the leading companies in the cyber world, and in my opinion, Israel is the most advanced. Well, Israel is very advanced in that area, and technology-wise, as I've said. So that part's true. Fleshing out his plan during the conference, the Prime Minister said he envisaged hundreds of cyber tech companies being set up in an unprecedented cooperation between the government and the business world. He explained that the more computerized the world gets, the more vulnerable we all become, and so we must deal with it in a systematic and focused manner. He says, this project is big and reflects our visions to develop Israel with international cooperation. Well, that would be easy because Israel has such control over other countries, as I've said before not least Britain and America, Australia, Germany, Canada, etc. The quote continues, We all want to see a cyber world that is open, free and cooperative. When you think cyber, think Israel, Israel's leader said. Netanyahu's speech came hot on the heels of it becoming public that hackers had broken into an Israeli Defense Ministry computer via an email attachment earlier this month which was tainted with malicious software. The hackers broke into 15 computers, one of them belonging to Israel's civil administration that monitors Palestinians in Israeli-occupied territory. <laughs> the software managed to fool employees at the Defense Ministry because it looked like it had been sent by Israel's Shin Bet Secret Security Service, an Israeli cybersecurity firm said on Sunday. The chief technology officer at Secular, Aviv Raf, told Reuters that the Palestinians were suspected of being behind the attack, but other than that, he did not have any information on what the hackers did. The Defense Ministry declined to comment. Well, it's interesting that Israel should be so intent on control of the internet to create a UN of the internet, to quote Netanyahu, because the internet is designed to be massively part of human control, as I'll get to. This is an article on financialpost.com. How Israel became a cybersecurity power and what Canada can learn from it. Canada controlled by Israel, ultimately, through the Sabatine Frankist cult. In 2011, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu made an ambitious promise to turn a country with less than a quarter of Canada's population and GDP into a top five global cybersecurity power within five years. Now, less than a decade later, Israel has far outstripped these goals. It is recognized worldwide as a cybersecurity innovation hub that continues to produce not only some of the best products and services, but the best minds. Israel currently has 450 cybersecurity companies, some of which are publicly traded in North America and approaching 10 billion US dollars in exports in the sector, according to Israel Export and International Corporation Institute Chairman Adif Baruch. The success has been fueled by what one Israeli CEO described as an ecosystem that feeds itself. The government, the education system, the military and the commercial market all work in unison to power a multi-year cycle that sees the government heavily invest and then profit from the services and the exports they're generating internationally. For Canada, which is looking to make a mark in innovative industries such as artificial intelligence, it's a model that some say is worth studying. There's an article here in the Times of Israel. Israel wins second largest number of cybersecurity deals globally. There's an article here in the Times of Israel. Israel wins second largest number of cybersecurity deals globally. Israel accounted for the second largest number of cybersecurity deals globally behind the US and ahead of the UK, a new report compiled by New York data firm CB Insights shows. The report shows that Israel accounted for 7% of the cybersecurity global deal share in the years 2013 to 2017, still way behind the US, which accounted for 69% of the global deal share, but higher than the UK, which accounted for 6% of the pie. Canada accounted for 3% and China for 2% of the global deal share, the report showed. The report selects 29 cybersecurity startups, which it calls cyber defenders who are early to mid-stage high momentum companies pioneering technology with the potential to transform cybersecurity the report said 
out of these, six are Israeli firms, ranking the so-called startup nation with the second highest concentration of cyber defenders after the United States. The Israeli firms that made the list of BioCatch, a startup that analyzes behavioral and physiological parameters to help with fraud prevention and detection. Aqua Security, which enables enterprises to secure their virtual container environments and bridges the gap between DevOps and IT security. Iron Scales, a maker of anti-phishing technologies. The tech companies were assessed on a number of categories, including companies that hunt for fraud, next generation cloud security. Remember, cloud, we'll be talking about it later on. Human factor security, crowd-sourced security, and makers of infrastructure defense systems. Unicorns, privately held tech companies valued at over $1 billion, that have raised funding past the Series C stage, and companies that have not raised funding since 2016 were excluded from the list, CB Insights said. A large amount of tech companies are opening centers and ventures in Israel, especially Silicon Valley companies, which is no surprise given that Silicon Valley and Israel are both owned by the Sabatini Frankist cult, ultimately. Here's a quote from Netanyahu on that point. You know these companies, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, guess what? They all have research centers in Israel, major research centers, and they're not alone. There are hundreds more, and there's a reason. Something is going on. It's a great change. It's the confluence of big data, connectivity, and artificial intelligence. You get that? You know what they do? It revolutionizes old industries and creates entirely new industries. Israel even has what's known as Silicon Wadi, obviously a play on Silicon Valley, which is an area with a high concentration of high technology companies on the coastal plain of Israel, similar to Silicon Valley in America, North California, and is the reason Israel is nicknamed the Startup Nation. There's an article here in the Times of Israel, again. Bill Gates, Israeli tech changing the world. Obviously Bill Gates, head of, or at least official head of, which is another Silicon Valley giant owned by the Tapati and Frankist cult ultimately, like Silicon Valley in general. A special guest virtually joined over 2,000 people at the Microsoft Israel R&D Research and Development Center's annual Think Next event in Tel Aviv Thursday. The man who started it all, Bill Gates, and he's credited with starting it all anyway, at least. In a rare public comment on the value of MS, Israel's work in helping make the company what it is, Gates said that Israeli development tech areas like analytics and security were improving the world. This year marked the eighth Think Next event where MS shows off its best and brightest new technologies many developed in Israel. Gates doesn't call in every year, but with this year being the 25th anniversary of the Microsoft's Israel Research and Development Center, he told the Tel Aviv audience in a video call from the US that he was very happy to wish the R&D Center a happy birthday. The center, he said, started in 1991 when some of the Israeli engineers at Microsoft wanted to return home but continue working at Microsoft. We decided to open the center. It was our first one outside the U.S. and I think the technology they have produced over the years more than justifies our decision, he says. Speaking live at the event was current Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella. Nadella met Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to discuss cybersecurity and other matters. In their meeting, Nadella noted Microsoft's commitment to Israel. Its investments in the local market and its commitment to the continued growth of the high-tech and innovation industry in Israel, which finds expression in assistance program for startups, introducing advanced technologies to all sectors of the economy, promoting science and technology, and education in computers and mathematics, the Prime Minister's office said. According to Yoram Yakovi, General Manager of Microsoft's Israel 
Research and Development Centre. The Think Next conference reflects the ability of creative technologies to reinvent entire industries, including health, agriculture, communications and transportation. The new experiences offered to users are a tremendous springboard for businesses and is changing the economy in the lives of millions. We are proud to provide a stage for startups that show exceptional creativity in these and other fields. Since the R&D Centre was established 25 years ago, we have managed to generate unique creative value for the company, as shown by innovative projects that will be presented today at the event. The article continues. Think Next itself was one of those projects exported by Microsoft Israel. First organized in Israel, the tech showcase is now duplicated by the company in India, China and America. This event is held in the framework of Microsoft's efforts to promote high tech in Israel and especially in the startup sector where Microsoft holds various promotion and cooperation activities with some 1,000 startups. One thing that Microsoft is very proud of, said Zach Weisfeld, who heads Microsoft Ventures, the company's startup accelerator, is that in four years, he says, we have built Ventures into the world's biggest and most successful corporate accelerator since we started the program in Israel. Since we started the program in Israel in 2012, Microsoft has opened six additional Ventures accelerators around the world. Worldwide, we have had 454 graduates who have raised $1.78 billion, he said at a gala event Thursday in Tel Aviv, celebrating the seventh graduating class of the local Ventures Accelerator program. On average, companies that graduated from the program received $4.9 million in funding in the first year after they graduate from the accelerator. That's enough to make us the number one corporate accelerator in the world. The article continues. While Microsoft is known for many things, it's best known for Windows, and rumors have swirled for many years that major parts of the <coughs> operating system were developed in Israel, something the company has confirmed, although it's never specified just which components of Windows are Israeli. Gates, who does know, was not telling either, but he was very happy to wish the Microsoft Israel R&D Center a happy 25th anniversary. I've been very impressed with what they've done in the past 25 years, and I can't wait to see what they come up with in the next 25, he added. There's a company called Qualcomm, which is leading the way to 5G smartphones. I talk about 5G in episodes. I talk about 5G in episodes 12 and 22, as well as other episodes. This is again in the Times of Israel. Qualcomm founder a fan long before Startup Nation. Some multinationals only become aware of the Startup Nation after reading the book of that title, at which point they rushed in feet first to grab a piece of Israel's tech magic for their companies. But others, call them the old-timers, knew the secret of Israel's success years before the country's technology prowess was in vogue. Among those veterans is Erwin M. Jacobs, a co-founder and former chairman, now Chairman Emeritus. This was published in 2014, January 2014. Qualcomm, by far the world's largest cell phone technology company. In the same way that Qualcomm was ahead of its time in cell technology development, I was ahead of my time in seeing Israel's potential. Jacobs told the Times of Israel on the sidelines of this year's Innovex event. Jacobs was in Israel to speak at the event. He remained in an active role with the company until 2007, but he still attends board meetings. And he and his wife visit Israel on a regular basis where they support various educational projects, especially at the Technion. Last year, the Jacobs donated $133 million to establish the Jacobs Technion Cornell Innovation Institute, part of the new Cornell Tech Campus being established in New York in conjunction with the Technion. A huge corporation, Qualcomm, with a market cap in excess of $100 billion, has 157 facilities in dozens of countries around the world, including Israel. Last year, the company celebrated the 20th anniversary of its presence in Israel, where it has developed some of its most innovative technologies. Among the technologies developed by Qualcomm Israel are the company's 
M2M, machine-to-machine cellular platform, which is used to track the location of pets, kids, the elderly, and property, a spokesperson said. Surveillance, basically. It's part of Qualcomm's attempt to create an internet of everything. I'll come back to that in a minute. Where objects are intelligently connected through a combination of advanced wireless networks, modules, sensors, and software to enable the real-time exchange of information with key elements developed in Qualcomm's Haifa facility, the company said. In addition, Israeli startup Wilosity, which received a substantial investment from Qualcomm Ventures, the company's venture capital group, recently demonstrated multi-gigabit wireless Y-gig chipsets based on chips made by Qualcomm. The system contracts for high-definition videos at distances of up to 40 meters with speeds more than 10 times faster than the current average Wi-Fi transmission rates, according to Wilosity CEO Tel Tamir. Qualcomm has also acquired several Israeli companies. In 2010, the company bought iScoot, which developed social media apps for AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, among others. In 2012, the company scooped up DesignArt Networks, which develops small cell, fem-to-cell technology for cellular base stations and wireless backhaul infrastructure, as well as the assets of EPOS, which specialized in digital ultrasound technology. Jacob says... I come to Israel about twice a year. The first time was right before the Yom Kippur War in 1973. Throughout Qualcomm's early years, he says a number of Israelis came to work with us in the US. Some stayed and some went back and we kept working with them until we eventually decided to open an Israeli office in 1993. Among Qualcomm's great contributions to mobile technology was development of the CDMA Code Division Multiple Access Standard, which paved the way for fast 3G and 4G communications. Israeli teams helped to develop the standards for those technologies, Jacob said. And there's many other articles that I could read out, but I wouldn't, because of time. <laughs> but basically, what I have read out outlines the fact that Israel is a tech center for not just cybersecurity and cyber hacking, but technology in general. And just read one more article here. This is from Business Wire. Making the smart grid smarter, Israeli smart grid consortium addresses electrical companies' next generation infrastructure needs. This was written by an Israeli journalist. Seven leading Israeli companies and five universities in Israel announced today the formation of the ISG consortium, whose goal is to develop next generation unified communication and smart grid management networks for utilities. With financial support, Provided by the Israeli Office of the Chief Scientist through its Magnet Program, the founding consortium members are ECI Telecom, Motorola Solutions, Israel Limited, and several others. Smart grid technology is fueled by the continuous growing demand for green energy and the requirement to economically deliver and control reliable and sustainable electricity service. Smart grid technology attempts to predict and intelligently respond to the behavior and actions of all electric power users connected to the grid by employing innovative products and services coupled with intelligent monitoring, control, communication and self-healing technologies. This whole thing about the smart grid is a great way to combat carbon emissions and climate change falls apart with the fact that, as I talked about in episodes 18 and 29, human-caused climate change is a massive scam to justify transformation of human society. And I've just finished writing a book where I talk about Israel and Zionism, but I also talk about human-caused climate change and absolutely taken apart. Humans are not causing climate change, and even the scale of climate change is massively overplayed, as I talk about in the book, and that will be available soon. It's called pay-per-view in print which kind of gives you an idea of what the book is but it's more than that there's an enormous amount of information 
that's not in the podcast, the first year of podcasts, that's in the book. The book goes into many subjects and human caused climate change is utterly taken apart in the book. The idea of human caused climate change. Anyway, the article continues. I'll talk more about the book when it's close to the time when it's available. The article continues. With the emergence of smart grids, every consumer is a potential prosumer, both a consumer of green energy services and a supplier of excess capacity to the rest of the grid. The smart grid has the intelligence necessary to the network that empowers such users. I've talked about the reason for the smart grid and smart technology in episodes 10 and 11. I talk about smart meters, which are massively part of the smart grid, and an absolute disaster for health in episode 17, as well as other episodes. But it's to save the planet, you see. The article continues. The smart grid has the intelligence necessary to the network that empowers such users. The ISG consortium will focus on the smart grid of the future, addressing all issues related to communications and monitoring and control of transmission, distribution and generation of energy to and from the home network. The smart grid concept is to add monitoring, analysis, control and communication capabilities to the electrical delivery system to maximise the throughput of the system and to add green energy resources while reducing the energy consumption. The smart grid will allow utilities to move electricity around the system as efficiently and economically as possible. It will also allow homeowners and businesses to use electricity as economically as possible. Well, that's the official spiel, but I talk about the real reasons, as I say, in episodes 10 and 11. So... I mentioned in part one, elite Zionist organizations who go around defaming and seeking to deplatform people who criticize and expose Israel, Zionism, and especially Sabatine Frankism. I talk about this in more detail in episode 10, where I explain why the Labour Party in Britain have been branded as racist and anti-Semitic, and one of the sources of information about the Sabatine Frankist agenda, which automatically is branded as anti-Semitic, is a document which is available as a book, I've got a copy myself, called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Anyone this Zionist lobby is seeking to discredit and deplatform, if they have talked about the protocols of the elders of Zion, they use that as one of the reasons to demonize them. But when you read the protocols of the elders of Zion, so many things that are in that document or that book have happened or are happening. And it's a legitimate question to ask why that is when they were written so long ago. Protocols of the Elders of Zion are said to be the outcome of a Zionist meeting in 1870. And given that, it's kind of incredible that what they talk about has happened or is happening. Because as I've said many times before, society is driven by an agenda. And if you are connected to those who come up with that agenda, then you know what's planned to happen centuries before it does. Things don't happen randomly. That's the way they're presented on the news. That's the way they're presented in the media. That this political figure, this political leader, this corporation has just decided to do this. It's a long, long planned agenda. And in the protocols of the elders of Zion, among many other claims, which have proven to be prophetic, is the claim that there will be a world king or pope of the universe from Israel. And this is designed to be, although... A lot of Jewish people won't know this. The AI that I've talked about before and talk about in episodes 10 and 11, the artificial intelligence controlling human society. This is what's known as the Internet of Everything. 
idea is that human minds will be connected to the cloud and the cloud will be controlled by artificial intelligence. And as a Google executive, of course, Google, controlled by the Sabatian Frankish cult that controls Israel, a Google executive, Ray Kurzweil, talks about this, and I've mentioned what he says in episodes 10 and 11, go into more detail about it. Human society and all humanity are planned to be controlled from Israel. So as human society is now, all roads more or less lead to Israel already, but the idea is to take it on to an even more extreme level with this technological control from Israel. How much will roads lead to Israel in the end? Well, that's up to us, and that's why being informed about it is so important, and that's what pay-per-view is all about. So that's it. That's the news. That's the context and connections. That's pay-per-view. More to come next week. Until then, goodbye.